The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Last week, uh, we've been working our way through Luke, and we're in chapter 12, and there's this long discourse that Jesus is having with his disciples, and there's sometimes he's getting interrupted by different people as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's on his way to, to ultimately his death, right? He knows it. He's not turning back. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that he has fixed his eyes upon this place like Flint. He's not turning back. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. He came to die a death we deserve to die so that we might enjoy a life that only he can give, right? And so there he's going. And he met a man. And, and, and you know, the title in that, uh, let's say, in, in above your text there in the Bible says, The Rich Fool, right? But really this man, what he, what he is, is he's a guy who stored up the wrong kind of treasure in the wrong place. And, and, and that's what we looked at last week. But here's the thing, he, he was spiritually bankrupt, right? And we really cut the sermon off in the middle of the solution, which is tricky, but I knew there was no way we'd get through it all. But Jesus said about being rich in God, right? Well, everything that we're going to look at today is how to be rich in God. So he, this really is just part two, in a sense, of the sermon that we had last week. So let's look. We're going to pick it up in verse 22, Luke chapter 12. And I want you to notice the audience change. And he said to his disciples, I don't, I don't know if other people can still hear. My guess is they can. But he's talking specifically to his disciples, those who, by God's grace, are following him in, in a pathway of, of life, in, in seeking to be obedient to his word, in trusting in Jesus, right, to be his disciple. It's kind of like an apprentice. Right? So if you wanted to be an electrician, you would, you would find someone who's already doing that work, and you would say, teach me your skills, teach me the rope, I want to learn from you. Right? Well, in the same way, that's kind of what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I know you're the way to life, I desire to have life with you, I'm going to follow you. Imperfectly for sure, but I'm seeking to know you, to love you, to obey you, and to love those who are my neighbor. And Jesus says, everybody's your neighbor. You might be like, who's that? Not just next door, right? So he's talking to his disciples now. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Let's pause there. Have you, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten hit by a spiritual drive-by from a well-meaning friend. Do you know what I mean by that? If not, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, you're stressed. This shouldn't be hard for you to imagine, right? You're stressed. You're anxious. You're worried. You're feeling overwhelmed. And a really good, kind friend with a big, cheesy smile comes your way and says, chill out. <laughs> chill out. Don't worry. Be happy, right? Um, it's no biggie. Oh, thanks. Uh, or they might use some Bible language. Uh, don't be anxious about anything. And let me ask you a question. Does that help? No. <laughs> no. Actually, it probably makes your anxiety worse because you're like, oh, now I'm anxious about being anxious and I wish I would have never shared this with you. <laughs> and there goes your brain, right? Now, to be fair, it is kind for someone to tell you to not be afraid, but anxieties don't subside without good reason. 
right? Um, what we really need is to know why we should not be anxious or how it is we can be safe in, our, in the midst of our anxiety, right? Um, we live in an ever-increasing society that's filled with anxiety and depression today. Um, our, our culture is... And when I say culture, I don't just mean the people out there. I'm talking to the people in this room. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me, right? Uh, we're anxious about so many things. We're anxious about food. But it isn't whether we'll get food. It's whether it will be the right food, whether it will be organic enough, whether it will have non-GMOs or this or that. We're not worried about whether we'll get water. We're worried about whether we'll get smart water because it helps you increase your IQ. We, I mean, we're just... Clothing, it isn't whether we can cover up, you know, our bathing suit parks and go out into the world. It's whether it's, you know, Versace fig leaves. I mean, we just got so many things we're worried about. And the constant advertisements and influencers that are in this world honestly don't help as they fill our news feeds and our, and, and they not only fill our news feeds and take tattoos, I don't know what that means, but pause, um, they, they feed our neurosis. They, they really do, uh, with aesthetic images and of bright and beautiful people wearing the perfect things, the perfect clothing, the perfect painted on faces. And now you don't even have to paint your face. You just hit, you touch your screen and it does it. It's like bedazzled for your face. <laughs> Surrounded by like well-placed wine and champagne bottles and the perfect antique and this and that, and it, all it's doing is trying to make our lives look closer to Eden before the fall than when they, where they are right now. And we think it helps, but it's hard to maintain that mask. You, you got to get this. Every product imaginable right now for the body is promoted to, to teach you how to tan it. <laughs> but, but tanning's bad, so they'll give you spray-on tan, right? Uh, to massage it, to pamper it, to clothe it, to stimulate it, and eventually to drug it because you realize none of it works. It actually is doing the opposite thing you think it's doing. It, it's, it's, you think it'll numb the pain, but none of it works to stave off the thing you're really anxious about, which is death and judgment. Not just judgment of God, but judgment of other people. Do I measure up? Will they like me? Think about it. Every experience is, is transformed into an experience that can be posted and shared. Now, you might not currently be in that world right now, but I'm telling you, you, you swim in this water. You may not even know because you may not think about it. Or maybe you were in that water and the Lord kind of rescued you from it. And you're like, I can't, I have no self-control. I just need to eliminate these things off of my newsfeed. None of these things are ultimately the problem. But I'm telling you, what they do is they highlight the problem. Because you get rid of your social media, but the problem is right here. You have a treasure problem. You have a, you have a desire to be, to be loved and, and approved of and accepted. And, man, the gospel just so perfectly answers all those questions. See, here, here's what it really comes down to. Our addiction to control ends up actually controlling us. Because that's what it's about. It's about control. As I think about it, right? Like, as we work hard to create a life, 
that is to be desired by yourself and by other people to even be lusted after, like, ooh, I got some likes. It's a dopamine hit. Do this. I mean, there's so many studies out there. I'm not making this stuff up. And I know me. I don't want you to think I'm like on the outside and like looking at you guys like losers, right? No, I'm, I'm right there with you. So much of what I'm talking about right now lies at the heart of the skyrocketing anxiety, loneliness, fatigue that consumes so many hearts and minds today. It isolates. That's what it does. Because you know that ain't my real life. But if I get close to people, then they'll know. So then guess what you do? You just have an online life, one that's just so fragile. And, and you know what this does? All of this immobilizes discipleship. All of it. Um, or as it has been said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll keep you busy. And you know what he keeps you busy with? Staring at your navel. Looking at you. Wondering if this is good enough life for the world to say, good job. But all you're thinking about is you. And you can't love your neighbor when you're always thinking about you. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength when all you're thinking about is you. It's a worship problem. So much blood, sweat, and tears are aimed at creating a life instead of trusting in the one who says he is life. And, and we buy the lie. It's the same lie that Adam and Eve bought. Nothing's changed. There's nothing new under the sun. It just keeps getting repackaged. It's not an apple now. It's an orange, right? Or what's in now? Peaches. I just had a great peach yesterday. Thank you, Lord. Um, John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Just so you know, in John 10... I don't think it's wrong to say that that's Satan, but the, the thief that's being discussed here are false teachers, false prophets in John 10. Why, why I tell you that is because the, the world's filled with them and has been filled with them ever since the fall, preaching a false gospel, a false narrative. And we hear it and we believe it. But look what Jesus said. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want abundant life, Lord. And if you're like, man, I want life. I want abundant life. There's one, one person that that's found, and it's Jesus Christ. He tells us right here. See, Jesus did not and is not offering the disciples experiences. That's what Instagram offers you. It offers you experiences. He, he's offering them life. Boring, messy Oh, but make no mistake about it, miraculous life in Him. It's the only place life can be found. And when we find our life in Him, then everything else gives so much more joy. Because it's not ultimate. It's just a gift from a good God who gives gifts to His children. Right? Jesus wants us to have abundant life. He wants life for his followers, for his friends to be found in him. He, he doesn't want you to have abundant experiences, but life, life. Jesus wants so much more for us. He offers us abundant life with him now 
So many times I'll hear people say, I can't wait till then. And I know what they mean, and I say it too. It's not even wrong to say it. It's the day that all the pain and the suffering is over, and he presses out all the tears that are in my eyes, the ones I've caused, the ones that have happened to me, and there's no more sin. I have a resurrected body. It's glorified, and I can enjoy Jesus with a canister who can enjoy him infinitely more than I can right now. That's what we mean. But what we also sometimes make the mistake of thinking is that that's when I'll have life. And it's a lie. Jesus offers you life now. He offers you his presence now. He offers you his peace now. It's not polished. It's not filtered. But it's, it's real. It is real. It's more real than anything you'll see on your newsfeed today. This is why Jesus commands us not to worry about life, right? Look, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He's not saying it doesn't matter. I'm going home today. I'm going to eat a feast. So what I love to do on Sundays, worship Jesus and then eat and worship Jesus, take a nap and worship Jesus. All those things are life. They're good gifts. Let me ask you a question. I already know the answer. Do you ever feel stressed? Do you ever feel anxious? Do you ever feel worried? Do you ever feel overwhelmed? That's the Christian word for all those things. We don't like to say anxious because you might be like, don't be anxious for anything. I feel overwhelmed. That's anxiety. It's stress. You could package it up in anything you want. That's what you're feeling. And it's real. And so what does Jesus say? Look at verse 24. Notice the verb. Consider the ravens. Consider, think, meditate, muse, all these things. Consider the ravens. And if you're like, I don't know if ravens are around here. Consider their close cousin, the crow. Right? They're very similar. What am I to consider? Well, they neither sow. They, they don't throw seed or, nor reap. They, they have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. And there's this beautiful little... Thing Jesus says of how much more, oh man, I love that, how much more value are you than the birds? I answer is infinitely more. Why? Because you're made in his image and crows aren't, ravens aren't. And yet he feeds them, he clothes them, he cares for them. But notice the word consider. Consider, think. We, we don't create enough margin in our lives to think. We're always doing, we're going, we're, we're being. Like, w listen, you're a human being, not a human doing. This, this matters. Consider, slow down, think. So here I am, and I'm out on my back deck. If, you can, if you've ever been to my house, you can picture it. If you haven't, come visit us. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm thinking about ravens, but then I'm, like, looking up all this stuff online so I can be, like, really smart, uh, right? And, like, seven to ten ravens show up in, well, crows, in the tree that's right beside my deck. And I'm talking right now. Now, don't go over-spiritualizing that, but don't under-spiritualize it. And they begin to caw, and they're loud, and they're crazy, and they're annoying me because I'm trying to consider ravens, which is funny. <laughs> and I just put my books away, I put my iPad away, and I just start to consider them. 
I start to look at them. I start to think about them. I start to observe them, which isn't hard for me because I had this, I had this great-grandmother, her grandma rising, right? God rest her soul. She's with the Lord. Listen, this woman made me consider birds when I never cared about birds. She had bird charts all over her, her wall in the kitchen, okay? And she had a beautiful garden, and she would say, Scott, what bird is that? And I would tell her, and she says, is that male or is that female? And I would tell her based on these different things. And she goes, tell me some things that you observe about them. I love my grandma for a trillion reasons, but what she made me do there was to slow down and to think. And then, because Grandma Rising loved the Lord, she would tell me, you know, and God loves you more than all of those, bud. And I wasn't a believer. I didn't get any of that. I'm like, okay, cool, Grandma. Can I have sweet tea? Right? <laughs> But now I'm looking at these birds and I'm, I'm observing them. But then it made me ask this question. And here's the question it made me ask. Why, why ravens? Why does he say consider ravens? You want my theologically profound answer? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. But I have some thoughts. I mean, why not sparrows? Because in chapter 12, he talks about sparrows. Remember that? If you don't, that's all right. You can go back and listen to it. But sparrows were a clean bird that, that, that the Jews could bring for an offering. The Hebrews could bring for an offering, not crows. No, the question is, why, why not sparrows? Why not blue jays? Why not robins? Why not doves, cardinals, hummingbirds, or any other bird? Why does he say ravens? And I don't know. But I'll tell you this, these nasty little squawking scavengers are unclean. They're unclean. They know nothing of the labor of a farmer. They, they don't plant. They don't reap. They, they don't do anything except really exist as scavengers and waiting for their next meal, Right? And because they're unclean, they're off limits to the Israelites' menu, right? And yet God feeds them. Oh, I don't think that's a mistake. Je Jesus is simply teaching us what Scripture teaches us. Job 38, 41 says this. Who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wonder about for lack of food. Who, who allows the squirrel to get squashed so the raven can eat? God. Who allows the mouse to croak so that the raven can eat? God. Or Psalm 147, 9, he gives to the beast their food and to the young ravens that cry. God, help us to consider, help us to contemplate, meditate, ponder, reflect, ruminate, speculate. What do you mean by consider the ravens? I don't know, but he wants you to consider them. So there I sat as they were making a whole bunch of noise. Text Jess real quick, like, get out of here. I want to show you this. I want you to see this. So she finally sees my text. She comes out and, and she's like, oh, wow. And then they all fly away. I'm done considering. At least for that. God feeds unclean ravens. You ever see a, a raven or a crow eating like some stinky skunk roadkill? Yeah, it's pretty nasty, but he says, consider it. 
So as you're driving by and they all fly away until you're gone, then they come right back. You should consider it. And God, feed, he feeds them. They're unclean. They're not beautiful like a, like a hummingbird. You know, they're dark black. They got that thick, ruffled up neck. Consider them. They eat the guts of an animal. Ugh. He feeds them. He loves them. And if you gathered all the birds, I mean every bird, all the, the most beautiful birds you can imagine, and you put them all in one aviary, he loves you more than all the birds that he's ever created for all of time. Why? Why should we consider him? Well, because why should we, why should we rest in that fact? Because since God feeds birds, and since humans are infinitely more valuable than birds, the conclusion is, well, well God will feed you too. But I, I would say, man, I, you have to think about that because then you have to ask yourself, have there ever been Christians who love the Lord so much and maybe have died of starvation? My guess is yes. So then you say, whoa, then is the Bible not being honest here? No, he will feed you grace to suffer and starve if that's what it means, but you will feast forever. Why? Because he sent you true food in Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. He sent you true drink. And he doesn't offer that to anything or any, anything else in all of creation except the apple of his eye, which are humans who are made in his image because he infinitely loves you. How much? Spoiler alert. So much so that he would send his son to die for your sins. I say spoiler alert because that's where every sermon ends. And I've had people say, well, when do we learn the other things? There's nothing else to learn. Where do you go from that? Well, we want the deeper things of life. There's nothing deeper than Jesus Christ died to save sinners. I'm a sinner and I need life. And he says, well, come to me. I've come to give you life. You just go deeper into it. God feeds them. So, so this, listen, re remember that Jesus now calls the disciples in chapter 12 friends. It's the first time he uses that word. And he says, oh, of how much more value are you than birds? So there's this little poem I used to, to think about. And I would read to Sarah at times while she would be anxious. And I was anxious about her being anxious. And sometimes this would bring relief. Said the robin to the sparrow. You may have heard it. I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. I remember telling her that on the ghost town trail and then we just sat down and we just looked at birds the rest of the day. Well, Jesus continues. Look at verse 25 and 26. And which of you, by being anxious, so he's expecting you're, you're anxious. <laughs> which of you, disciples, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, then why are you anxious about the rest? Do you see his logic? I mean, this is a little less poetic, but it's, it's no less profound, and it does pack a punch. It turns out anxiety is incredibly ineffective to do anything. But, but here's the thing. It doesn't slow down death, but I will tell you, it does do something. It's not ineffective, actually. Um, it's incredibly 
effective. And you're like, in what, in what way? It's very damaging <laughs> to so many things, to relationships, to your own body. It's, it's been proven to wreak havoc uh, on families and, and, and internally, your heart and life expectancy. And you're like, I wasn't anxious, but now I'm anxious about that. Hang in there. But seriously, constant worry, constant fear, suffering, wither, and shrivel up us while we're on the vine. And for what? It doesn't accomplish anything positive. That's the word we should add. It's a dead-end street. And in all seriousness, your life depends on letting go of trying to control your life. That's what every person who's anxious needs to hear. I'm, I'm, t- I'm, I'm being so serious. And then guess what, though? You're going to grab control again. How do I know? Because that's what I do. And I'm guessing we're not much different. Right? It, it really is. It, we want to control the things around us so we can feel safe. But safety is never in that moment. It's being not by holding on to things, but being held by God. As he just opens up your little grip. And continues to say, I surrender, Lord, help me. Help me. And he will. Charles Spurgeon once said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. But it only empties today of its strength. I don't know if he was in this text, but that's what this text is saying. So let's continue. Verse 27, 28. Here's that word again. Consider the lilies. Consider the wildflowers. Consider flowers right? It's not just lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. There's that phrase again. How much more will he clothe you? Oh, you little faith. I think he says that with a smile. I've heard it preached where, oh, you little faith, like time to grow up. How long do I have to bear with you? I just, uh, if you've ever heard that, I I think that's so wrong. You're already anxious and now you're anxious about that. He's going to care for you. He's going to care for you. Picture a field right now full of beautiful wildflowers. Consider them. That they did nothing to make themselves so lovely. They did not work hard to spin themselves into that stunning beauty. And yet God did all of that. God decks them out in all their glory. And and even though they're going to soon be thrown into the oven, and he switched to grass, so does that mean that we're going to bake a cake or we're going to make bread? I don't know. But he wants you to consider how much more gracious God will be to you. Infinitely more. It's a rhetorical question. It's not like something we have to like wonder. We know. Why? Because once again, you're infinitely more valuable than all the beautiful flowers in all the world. Martin Luther said of this text, he said, it seems that the flowers stand there and make us blush and become our teachers. Thank you, flowers. You who are to be devoured by the cows. God has exalted you very highly that you become our masters and teachers. That's, I love poetry. That's poetic. Still struggling to believe? Oh, you little of faith. Jesus continues. 29, 30. 
And do not seek what you are to eat. Now, by the way, pause. This doesn't mean you don't go grocery shopping. It doesn't mean you wait till a raven brings you a cake. Could God do that? God has done that. Read your Bible. But that's not what he means. He's anxiously toiling about, making sure, right? He says, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all of the nations of the world seek after these things. Now listen, and your father, oh, that word matters. Circle it, highlight it, understand it. Knows that you need them. He knows what you need. Not that long ago in, in the Gospel of Luke, we were, we were looking at it where, you know, Jesus is telling this story and he's like, listen, you know, fathers, you guys, you, you know, if your kid comes and asks you for a cake, you don't give him a scorpion, do you? Of course not. And he says, and you're evil, which is so crazy that Jesus just called all the fathers of the world evil. And he says, but you wouldn't even do that. Well, then just think about how great your father in heaven would treat you because there's no sin in him. Oh, he wants you to th think from the lesser to the greater. Even if you had the worst father ever here, you have an infinitely great father there and he knows what you need. But it doesn't mean he'll take away your pain and your suffering. Sometimes he will allow it to open up your hands to quit trying to control and trust. Trust him. Catch what he's saying here. To be anxiously seeking after all these things, he would say, is the activity of pagans. You're acting like an orphan. That's what he's saying. You're not trusting God. See, religious orphans seek after all these things because they don't know God. And they're deceived about where to find crucial life. What's the cure of all this anxiety and worry? By the way, most, my guess, most of you, if you really do struggle with anxiety, won't be cured until the day you die or until the day Jesus returns. But how can you grow in grace and oh, be quick to say, Lord, help me and open up my hands. Oh, God, help me. The cure is relationship. It's to Jesus is saying, consider ravens, consider lilies. What he's really asking you to do is consider how much God loves you. That's what he's telling you to consider. And, and I'm here to tell you, you need to give your thought, your attention, your meditation, and all these things to that exact thought, is how much God loves you. <laughs> you. You. <laughs> you. Oh, he loves you. Getting to know the character of our Father is the balm that just ails. It just, it just heals. Just getting to know him. The awareness of the Father's love has the power to cast out fear and anxiety. True story. Every Sunday I come here, I'm a little anxious. That's why I don't even like to shake your hand. Because when I get anxious, my pits sweat and my hands sweat. Weird. I know. It's weird. I'm just telling you right now. Fellow sufferers. So I don't even like to shake your hand. So I'm not trying to be offensive when I give you a fist bump or anything like that. I'm walking here every Sunday. And I've asked the Lord to take it. And he's not taking it. So now I've quit. I really just quit asking him to take it. Because I think it's a thing that he uses to keep me dependent upon him. Because I don't think it's sinful anxiety. 
I've asked him to search my heart. What I just say is, Lord, I know you're the God of all grace. I'm casting all my fears and anxiety upon you once again because you are sufficient. Oh, God, help me to feed them as you fed me all week. I'm not saying you're going to arrive, but my reaction, my, re, my, my natural response to those moments is God has taught me to run to him or fall upon him if I can't walk. And he helps me. He helps me. So it doesn't mean that you not know anxiety, struggle, depression, loss. If anyone teaches you that, they're liars. Go to a different church. I'm for real. What garbage. Read your Bible. It's all over the pages of Scripture, of anxiety, worry, depression. But there is an anxiety and a worry that does not please God at all. And it's where we just try to control all the things instead of going to the one who's in control. And if that's where you're at, then that's just an invitation to come and confess. <laughs> Lord, here I am again, <laughs> trying to control my life, not trusting you. Oh, I'm thankful you died for all the sin of my anxiety and control. You're so good. Help me. Have mercy on me. Give me grace. Create a heart that just trusts you. He'll do that. Might be slow. It will be slow. I mean, I guess he could take it in an instant. It's just not my normal understanding of how it works. Could he do it? He could do it. But notice Jesus doesn't say, do not fear for everything will always go your way and the way you want it to go. As your closets will be filled with the most recent trendy clothes and your fridge will be filled with the choicest of meats and cheeses. And if you like wine, it will overflow. And if you don't like wine, then you'll drink grape juice, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't say any of that. Instead, what it does say is to focus our attention on our Father who cares for you. And if you have a powerful, loving God who is now your Father, and He has declared His intentions to care for you, ready? There's nothing to be afraid of. Not really. And you're like, but I'm gripped by fear. Okay, confess it. And know that it doesn't lessen his love for you. He's still with you as you twist about. Why? Because he's good. And then it says this in verse 31 and 32. Instead, instead of doing that, instead of worrying about all your clothes and your food and your smart water, seek the kingdom. And these things will be added to you. And, and man, I, I hope you get this right here by faith. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, it makes God so happy to save sinners. Because guess what? That's all there is. It's just all there is. Like, yeah, but there's categories of it. Eh, no, not really. It's like, you know, garbage pail kids, right? Oh, in the garbage. But, but he comes to rescue us, clean us up, bring us home, right? So that we can have life with him by faith. Oftentimes when I'm anxious and I'm worried, it's because I'm starting to stare at the lint in my navel. Once again, I'm focused on myself and the key to be set free in those moments. And actually the, the feeling of it might not leave is to lift my eyes to my father who's ruling and who's reigning and, and seek his kingdom. Kingdom, rule and reign, his power. 
and his patience. It's not just his power. He is the lion and he is the lamb. Oh, he's so gentle. He's never a lion with his children, though. He's a gentle lamb. She says, come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. I want rest. And I don't just mean a nap, because you can wake up from a nap and still be exhausted. I'm talking rest here, right here, to where you can be exhausted and feel, you can just find peace. Why? Because Jesus has come that you might have peace. Peace with who or what's the question? Peace with God. Who until you've trusted in Jesus Christ, and you might not be trusting in Jesus Christ today, which I would tell you today's the day of salvation. Turn from your foolish sins and place your trust in the living Christ who died in your place so that you could have life with God and God as your Father. You must be born again. This message is not for people who are trusting in themselves and not trusting in Jesus Christ. When I say it's not for you, I mean the promises that are being preached. He said disciples. But here's really great news. You're like, well, I'd like to be a disciple. How do I do that? Say, Lord, help me, save me. I need you. I trust Jesus for my salvation. It's faith. It's a gift. It's grace. And he gives it to all who ask. He does so happily. It's his good pleasure to give it to you. He came to save. This is why Jesus has come. He has come to save. He did not come to judge. He is a judge. He didn't need to judge you. You're already guilty. What you need is redemption. You need salvation. You need forgiveness of sins. You need righteousness. And Jesus has come to give you all of that. Why? So that you can enjoy life with God forever. That's the message of the gospel. Right? So, focus on the kingdom. But notice how gently Jesus urges us. Little flock, don't be afraid. Why? Why? I am afraid. I know. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It makes Him happy to save you. And not just that one time at salvation. I'm talking He saves me every day. From what? My anxiety, my fear, my melancholy spirit. I just always just want to pull the covers over my head one more time. And I would say hit the alarm, but I don't generally set an alarm because I know my wife will make me get up. And you're like, you should be a grown man and do that. No. If I have it, I'll think about the alarm. So I get up early enough, I promise you. Your loving father's care is a safe place in which you can locate your hope and your comfort. Jesus encourages us to look to how merciful our Heavenly Father is in faith and to trust that He's all we need. He's all we need. That's the true key to set us free to love God and to love others. However, I know that even as I share this, many of you right now are anxious and feel like, oh, I don't have any faith. (laughs) This had the opposite effect. I know it. Because I know people because I talk to people enough and I know me. And all you've heard is, why are you so worried? You don't have to be. You don't have to be. I'm not trusting the Father. Therefore, I don't have faith. And, and you're going down the rabbit hole. You're, you're, I know it. I know because I talk to people after messages like this. But here's the thing. When you hear the message from Jesus as, don't worry. God's going to take care of you. 
And then you think, I don't know if I believe that. I'm not believing if he does that. Why would God get involved in my life? What's going on? Oh, there has to be a better way. I'm so nervous. I'm so anxious. That means I don't have faith, right? I know there's people in here like that right now. Right now, you're having that exact thought go through your head. Can we just be real, though? We have a feeble faith. That's why Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard, it's really small. Really, really small. You could actually move mountains. I've not moved any mountains. I haven't. I've actually tried because I'm a little crazy. So I was like, hey, mountain, move. I did this in Israel because there was a funny joke behind that, but I don't have time to tell you. And it stayed. So I don't, have, I don't have faith to do that. So then my faith's smaller than a mustard seed, apparently, if I'm tracking with the logic that Jesus would say, but that's enough. That's enough. That's sufficient. So we all have feeble faith. Let's be real. You worry about what you're going to eat. You do. You worry about what you're going to drink. Is it Berkey water? Is it tap water? It'll eat us alive if it is. There's probably little things in there, right? Like, you worry about what you wear. You worry about everything. Everything. We wish we were the ravens so that apparently we wouldn't be anxious. (laughs) I wish I had the faith of a raven. You got to know, more often than not, what what that does expose is that, that we don't trust that God will really care for us. And even that lack of faith is in, it's insufficient for him to not take care of you. You, you got to get this. See, like what, I, I'm careful to not use my daughter often, but I do because I can't help but think about her. If she's anxious and not trusting that her dad's going to get her ice cream and care for her, you know what I don't do? If you don't quit being anxious, you're out of the family. And I'm evil, according to Jesus. I wouldn't do that. Well, if I wouldn't do that, well then, how much more might the Father care for you? This is good news for those with little faith, which, by the way, is all of us. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It makes him happy to do this. The the thing I'm I'm encouraging you to do is not turn your faith into a work that must be performed. God is faithful. He's faithful. Abraham's disbelief did not stop Isaac from being born. Peter's unfaithfulness didn't stop Jesus from keeping his promise. Thomas's doubt didn't stop the resurrection of Christ from showing up. Your little faith can't stop him from bringing you home see the gospel I want you to think about the good news of Jesus Christ our God continually comes to his enemies he relentlessly pursues rebels who want nothing to do with him he has taken the worries of today and forever upon the cross with him and he has swallowed it up in the grave And more than that, he's taking your sins and my sins if you're trusting in Jesus Christ with him to the grave forever. And he has resurrected to new life so that you might have life with him forever. And he's done it all. Romans 8.32 says this. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Think about this. If he's willing to give you Jesus for your salvation while you're a weak, ungodly sinner warring against him, wanting nothing to do with him, he gave Jesus up to save you at that moment, at your most unlovable moment. Jesus didn't love you because you became lovable and you cleaned yourself up. Jesus makes you lovable by sending Jesus to die for you to die for your sin, to swallow up all the wrath of God in your place. He takes upon your sin, my sin, upon himself, and he goes to the grave, and essentially, you go to the grave with him too. And there you remain. And then on the third day, Jesus resurrects from the grave to new life. And guess what? You resurrect with him when you believe in him. And now you have his righteousness. You have his forgiveness. And you have life with him. Behold, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what it means to be born again. And he's done it all. At the cross, God willingly gave up his son for us. And in doing so, he poured out his holy wrath upon Jesus instead of him pouring it out on you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you do, it was his pleasure to bring you home. It's, it's done. That's what I'm, it's finished. Well, there's got to be more. It's, it's done. Think about it. A God who saves those who are I'm talking hell-bent on stiff-arming his love. If he saves those, he's all we need in this life and the life that's to come then. He's done it all. It's finished. It's finished. Well, I have to get to the point, and our time's out. I think you got the point. Here... Here's your application. Now, you've got to be careful here. Look at 33 and 34. Sell your possessions. All of them. Now, he's not saying that. Give to the needy. What he is saying is have a generous heart. Why? Because you have a generous God. Pro- provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, with a thief where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also here's the point peace and generosity flows from the heart that is confidently trusting in the father's good pleasure to graciously provide us all things the question is this and then we'll be done what you should be asking this where's my heart it's what you should be asking yourself right now heart and treasure always go together in the scripture the heart's like the center of the who you are. It's what makes you tick. Where are your energies, your talents, your treasure, your passions all going? Take a minute, just take a minute right now and be honest before the Lord. Where are they? Is it in your barns, your storehouses, your Roth IRA, the golf course, in your home, kitchen, yard, clothing, car, your ability to be an influencer? If, if you want to know, I'll tell you, how, I'll tell you how you can mostly always find out. Look at your search en- engine on Google. See what you look up the most. That's, what, that's the source of your anxiety. Almost always. Is it health? Is it food? Is it exercise? What is it? I'm just telling you. 
I could be wrong. It's not a thus saith the Lord. It just says, eh, so this is Scott telling you to consider something. Where's your treasure? All those things are here today and they're gone tomorrow. Oh, place your trust in Jesus Christ who came to die for sinners just like you so that you can live with him forever now. Now. Consider the gospel. Consider the good news. And Jesus is good news. Oh, he's so good and he so loves you. If you do that, you'll receive his spirit. If you've done that, you've received his spirit. And guess what? That truth that God loves you while you are at your most unlovable will transform how you love, will transform how you live. You will be new. You are new. Trust him. Consider that. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, friends. He delights to save. And so if you're like, man, I need some saving, well, he's the one to do it. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, to give us you. It's so good to think about how the gospel shows that we win by losing. We triumph through defeat. We achieve power through humble service. We become rich by giving ourselves away. Oh, God, help us to do that. Lord, the good news is so good to think about is that nothing that needs to be done hasn't already been done. It's finished. And because this is true, then, Father, as we read the word and as we, we meditate and think on this word, then our value is secure in Jesus Christ alone. And therefore, we are secure because you've done it all. And so, Father, we ask now to just increase our faith to increase our trust that you've done it all. Lord, that you would just lift our eyes from ourselves and from our circumstances to the risen Christ where we can have hope and peace and love. And Lord, that we, we might live a, a life that is flourishing and a flourishing life is one that is, it's, it's wholly devoted to loving you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, help us to love. Help for the city church to be a people who love. And God, may we decrease as you increase in our heart and our mind and our affections. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.